For all the things my hand has made and all the things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. For all the things my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You just heard Isaiah 66, 2, and Psalm 51, verse 17. I'm going to invite you to turn to both of those, if you would, now. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 66, 2, put a, a mark there, and then mark in your Bibles as well, Psalm 51, verse 17. There is a word repeated there. And I have a, perhaps a different game face today than what you're used to. There's times when the Bible comes alongside of us and, and coddles us and, and graces us and, and, and moves us and carries us along to the place that we need. But there's other times the Bible speaks clear and it's crushing and it's hard. And it takes you to the exact same place of what we need. You may think, well, that's, that's hard preaching. That's hard. That, don't, that doesn't sound like what, how you would want to grow a church, Pastor Scott. I'm not concerned with that as much as I am with this. This book, known as the Bible, it reaches your life. It reaches every aspect of your life. It is all sufficient, more than sufficient. And these two verses are yet another example of just that. This morning, I want to answer three questions from the scripture. It's very, very applicable to your life. Not because I say so. These words were penned long before Scott Lamb was even thought of. These aren't scriptures that just mean something special to me. They are the truth of God's word. Of how you can be made whole. Three questions. A contrite heart. What is it? What's it look like? How do I get there? Now the third one is the one where I like to live. How do I get there? A contrite heart. What is it? What's it look like? And how do I get there? You'll notice in Psalm, in uh, the the, the Isaiah 66, 2, we see that word, contrite. It's not a word that we use every day in our vocabulary. A contrite heart. For all those things my, my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. This is the one that I'm going to be paying attention to. This is the one that I look on him or her who is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. What, so what we got to define a word here because it's not a word that we use all the time. And that word is contrite. You ready? That word, this word contrite 
means crushed, crippled, broken, maimed, dejected, collapsed. Let's look at that verse again. How, how's, that, how's that word used there? The very end of that verse is on him, on this person who is poor. Now, Lord, we understand poor. There's a difference between poor and broke, by the way. Poor is an attitude. Broke is you just don't have. Poor, poor is an attitude. And in the financial world, you'll hear Dave Ramsey talk about this quite a bit. When people say, poor me, well, then you got a terrible attitude. But when you say I'm broke, you can fix a bro, you can fix broke. But a poor is an attitude, and here it's used in a positive light, not a negative light. God is saying through Isaiah, on this person who is poor, has the proper attitude and of a crushed, crippled, broken, maimed, dejected, or collapsed spirit. That one. That one's the one I'm going to look at. You may think, well, I don't, I don't know that I want that. That's, therein lies the problem. Whether you're a believer today or not, therein lies the problem. As believers, perhaps we get wayward. As believers, we, we, we get justified. We, we try to get God to come to our thinking and not our thinking to God's. But he's saying this is the one, because when you're, broken, maimed, dejected, crippled before me, and collapsed. That's the one I'm looking on. When you're at the end of yourself, that's the one I'm looking on. A practical definition is a conscience that is crushed by the weight of its own guilt. That's what's referred to here in that word contrite, a contrite spirit. A conscience that is crushed by the weight of its own sin. Now the popular thought here that, that I'm sharing this morning, I understand. And in a personal way, I've come to realize that's where I can, I can be very quickly without recognizing it. That's where you can become very quickly without recognizing that even though you're walking with the Lord, you can become all the opposite of those things. You'll see it here in just a little bit. Verse uh, 2, the first part of that is saying, For all those things my hand has made. All what things? All, all those things exist. And, and all those things that exist. Or in other words, God is not looking for buildings and monuments. That's what's going on in verse 1. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you, that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need a house and he doesn't need to rest. People believe... Uh, religious people were pursuing these things. You know, even in our culture, go, go back in history, go back in history. Is that not what a lot of the pyramids and the temples that were built, uh, the Tower of Babel, and even in secular history culture, they're, they're, they're building a monument to a deity. Perhaps not God of the Bible, but to a deity. So th th it's not a stretch to think that Israel was doing the same thing. And by the way, God doesn't live in heaven. He, God doesn't even need heaven. Grab a hold of that thought for a moment. He's beyond heaven. In fact, when we make that statement that he doesn't want a house and doesn't need rest, this is the exact portion of scripture that Stephen was reciting before he was murdered, martyred by the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 7, 8. But let's compare and contrast who God abides with. Who is the one that God then does abide with? Let's compare and contrast for just a moment. The one who limits God or him to religious activities and tangible items or 
the one with the broken spirit who trembles at his word. That's, that's the compare contrast that, that Isaiah is drawing out here. Who's the one that, that you look at the two? On the surface, one has it all together and the other does not. On the surface, one has it all figured out. One has it all together. They have the religious circus. They have all the looks. That is eye candy to humanity. And the other looks like they're weak and pathetic. They're needy. They're crippled. They're maimed. They're crushed. And that's the one. That's the one that the Lord says, I will look upon. I can't wait to answer the question for you, how do I get there? The third point, we'll get there. I think you're going to see the need, especially when we look at the uh, psalm text here in just a moment out of David. When, when you're going to see that I do want that because that's what God demands. Pastor Scott, just get there. Let's watch as the scripture compels us, perhaps draws us a little closer, even still. As we turn to Psalm 51. Turn to the Psalm 51 text, verse 17. i got to ask this question to the person that's wayward, to the believer that's wayward, and or to the person who doesn't know anything or want anything to do with Jesus Christ at all. Here's the question. Are you ready? And do you want to be real or do you want to keep playing games with your soul? I'm speaking to the Christian too as well. Do you want it? Are you ready to keep it real or you want to, you want to keep playing games with your soul? Our soul is a fragile thing. So many times, it's an afterthought in our life. We're more concerned with our felt needs and our entertainment than we are with our soul. The immaterial part of us with God consciousness. What is contrite? What is it? A life that God will not turn away. Contrition. Psalm 51, verse 17 the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Psalm 51 is full, man. It is full, so full of this prayer of repentance. We'll touch the word repentance here in just a moment. It's so full of it. And, and David is, and actually David was so full of it. A year after he got caught, in his sin with Bathsheba. Forgiveness was sought. And if you'll read Psalm 51, it's a year later, and he's still feeling the weight and the effects of his sin. He's still feeling the weights. He remembers his sin, and he feels the effects of that. You know what happens a lot of times, especially for if you've been in church for any length of time, you understand scripture. You think, oh, my sin is far as the east from the west. It's in the bottom of the ocean floor. I don't remember it anymore. That's not what you see in the Bible. That's what God does. God removes it east from the west. It's out of his memory for justification shake. It's on the bottom of the ocean floor, but you are still living on this earth. We need to, re if you don't remember from whence you came, you're not going to be able to celebrate the grace and the victory that you have in Christ. That's what David's doing in chapter 51. He's remembering have you looked back on your life? Now, I don't want you to live there. The goal isn't for you to live, live in your past. That is not the goal at all. But sometimes we just brush it off like it never happened. It leaves scars. It leaves damning uh, uh, scars in our lives and in people's lives around us. Contrite, what is it? A life that God will not turn away. Look in verse 17. The sacrifices of God. Let's talk about that for just a moment. They're in the Old Testament era. Old Testament sacrifices and lots of them. A lot of bloodshed and lots of them. Why? Just to cover their sin. Not, not to remove, 
That's going to happen in the new covenant. But just to cover it, bloody and gory would have been sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And now David's saying there's something greater than that. Following the law, but there's still something greater than that. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. You can't mail in a sacrifice of the Old Testament. I mean, you, you can't go, here's my sacrifice. I did my best. There's the best of the best. And the priest, you do your thing. I'm good. We're good. We're good. I'm good. I'm covered. I'm good. It's always, always was, always will be about your heart toward our God in salvation. The same way, the, the sacrifice had a purpose. You're going to see the purpose in a second. It had a purpose, but if your heart wasn't faithful, if your heart wasn't broken, if your heart wasn't given over to God, the forgiveness was mute. It was, it was a religious activity. When you come today, when you come to enter God's word, how do you come? we got to be careful not just to mail it in, even though we may be here in bodily presence. Easily done. So very easily done, I understand. Psalm 51, verse 17. This scripture is new to some, and it's old to others. If it's new to you, it's probably hard. It's probably hard for you to hear that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and a broken and a crushed, maimed, dejected heart. You know, I don't, I don't, that's, that's the opposite of what I want. To get the opposite of what you want, this is where you need to be. These, oh God, you will not despise. He will not. So if it's new to you, you're hearing this and going, that's hard. And I would agree, it's hard. It's hard to give up on yourself and trust fully on him. On one hand, it feels impossible. I was going to do this. I did not, I decided not to. There's people in my life that excite me when I look at, uh, because I've been a part of their life. God's allowed me to be a part of their life. And I've got testimonies of people for decades. And to watch, to watch everything that they've, that, that they, 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 are blooming into now as a believer they've had from the beginning. They had it. They just had to work through it. They're working through it. The assurance of salvation. You had that the day you got saved. Just didn't feel it, didn't know it, didn't know how it worked. Victory over sin. They had it from day one. 20 years later, it's coming to bloom. It excites me to hear these testimonies. So for, if this is new to you, yes, it's probably hard. It's counter to the culture right now. The, verse, the way, verse 17, a broken and a contrite heart, that is counter to the culture. That's why one guy can write a song that kind of counters the culture and, the, and everybody wakes up to it right now. They're waking up. They're waking up. Because our culture's feeding us something. The world has always been feeding something to society from day one. Starting in this place called the Garden of Eden. It, it's been selling something that it cannot deliver. And we take it, take it, take it. But if this scripture is old to you, you've probably let your heart become stale for lack of use toward God in a genuine way. Let me repeat that line. If this scripture, like, I've heard it, I know where he's going. It's probably become stale. If, if this scripture's old to you, it's, it's because your heart has become stale. Why? For lack of use. For lack of use in a genuine way. It reminds me of just a couple years ago, I was down at uh, a camp, Youth Haven Bible Camp, and there's a path I used to take all the time. And um, we went out to the point, looked at it, and I said, I'm going to go back over the bridge, there's a path. And um, what I didn't realize was that path hadn't been used in a long time. In fact, when I went in there, they said, you, you disappeared. It was just swallowed up. Why is that? That path wasn't used. It became grown up. I came out itchy and with these little critters on me. 
The path of our heart toward God needs to be used and used and consistently used and worn out. Keep using that path in a genuine way. A contrite heart, what is it? That word contrite, crippled, crushed, broken, maimed, dejected, collapsed. But what does it look like? You've defined it, Pastor Scott. The Bible's defined it. I think we got it. Two verses. There's more, but there's two. But what does it look like? Show me a practical way of what a broken and a contrite heart looks like. I, I want it. I, I, that's what I think I need. The, I'm praying. I've been praying this week. Praying for me, praying for you, that the Spirit would take the Word of God today. What does it look like? Turn with me to Luke 18. Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 9 through 14. This is a parable. Jesus is telling this story for the purpose of <clears throat> making... A godly point. What does it look like? Verse 9 through 14. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Man, I, I was really want to read this all the way through, but I got to stop at verse 9. What was the problem there? And he spoke this parable to some, to the people that were hearing is who he's speaking to. That were doing what? Who trusted in themselves that they were right. They trusted in themselves that they had right living before God. You know what the Bible says? There's nobody like that. No, not one. There's nobody that can do, to live right before God in and of yourself. It can't be done. That's who he's speaking this parable to. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector points him out. I fast twice a week. I, I, tithe, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's unpack this parable just a little bit more. A contract, what does it look like? It doesn't look like someone who trusts in themselves for righteousness. That's what it doesn't look like. Now, this may be hitting you right now. You may be looking at the scripture on the screens or on your devices or, or, or your, your tangible Bible, and it may be like looking in a mirror right now. It's okay. It's okay if you're wrong because there's a fix. There's an antidote. It's okay that you're coming to this realization that you don't like what you see. When the scripture is your mirror. There's no filter. that's going to make your heart look different when you hold up to the mirror of God's word. In this parable, two men couldn't be more opposite in society's view. Two dudes couldn't be more opposite. One religious and the other a thief. One religious, had the look, had the garb, had it all together, had the right words, had the vocabulary, had the academia, had the religiosity, if that's even a word, whatever. But the other guy was a thief. He could pick how much money to take from you, and it was legal. Another example of how a government, even then, could do what it wanted to do. You see that in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple. Now, they both went to the right place. We like that. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Tax collector. Opposites. Verse 11 and 12, I want you to look. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, 
extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I want you to look at how the pious trusted in his own righteousness. What he thought was righteousness. He was arrogant in his prayer. How do we know that? It's a self-centered prayer. It's not God-centered. Look at it uh, in, in verse, uh, verse 11. He stood and prayed thus within himself that it's privately and it's all of everything that I'm not. I'm not that bad. It was a self-centered prayer. He compared himself to others, not the word. If you're going to be real today, you got to compare yourself. Look into the mirror of God's word and let it speak to your heart. It'll show you who you are and who you're not. It really will do that. It's a beautiful thing. Where else can you go and get true, honest feedback? Even Dr. Phil has an agenda. You could go to people and celebrities or, 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 or people to give me elements and tell me just to tell me the truth. Everybody has an agenda, but the word of God has one agenda to bring you to him. Look at this Pharisee. He did the acts of worship, but not the heart of worship. He went through, the, went through it. He exalted his own works as if to say, I'm not as bad as the others. That's what he's doing there in verse 11. Verse 12 as well. I'm not as bad as the others. I'm going to be all right. Let me give you an FYI. God is the final judge. He's not going to compare you to others. It's not going to happen. Why do we do it to each other? He is the standard. The only standard. Be found righteous in Christ. That's where your righteousness comes from. Look in verse 13, however. But the tax collector, the one that was despised, set aside, the thief, Standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What do you see in verse 13? Look at how the tax collector trusted in God's righteousness. How do we see it? Number one, he stood away from the temple as not to draw attention to himself. Humble. Where the other guy was arrogant, perhaps loud in his Although it says he prayed within himself. The other guy was not in the centerpiece. The other guy was at the temple, but off as not to draw attention. Humble spirit. This guy would not raise his eyes up as to look at the holiness of God because he knew he was crushed by the weight of his sin. And that's repentance. He wouldn't even look his eyes up. Now think about that for a moment. You would think... You know, with eyes up, we're calling out unto the Lord. But yet this guy, you're going to see in a moment, which one did God honor? You're going to see it in this parable. This guy wouldn't even look up. Here's the thing. The more you see the holiness of God, the littler you're going to become. Not bigger, little, small. He begged the Lord to be merciful. He looked to God alone as a standard, and he knew that he was way short. He was way short. He was unworthy. And by the way, that's the purpose of the Old Testament law, a schoolmaster, to show you can't get there. So what does the contrite heart look like? What does it produce? Look in verse 14. I tell you, this man, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Why? Why? There's no him, there's no him uh, saying the perfect prayer with these perfect wording. Why? This guy on outward appearance is doing everything right. This guy from outward appearance is doing everything wrong. But what happened? God looked at the heart. He looked at the heart. What did the heart show? A broken and a contrite spirit. The, the, the glimpse of his holiness made him be humble and head down.
John MacArthur phrased it in one line this way. This guy went home justified. He was reckoned righteous before God. And he uses reckoned, not the way we do with our hillbilly roots from Kentucky, of reckon, I reckon so. Reckon means he was made right. He was made righteous before God is why. Not because of his own contrition, repentance, or conviction. How does one get this heart? How do we get there? How do we get there? Get me to a heart that offers no excuses. No blame shifting. Get me to a heart that doesn't try to justify. How do I get my heart to agree with God and stop trying to get God to agree with my heart? How do we get there? I've thought long and hard about that this week. Sought friends, dear friends, praying friends. To reveal what sometimes is hidden to ourselves. I'm going to talk about how to get there. A contrite heart. Get me there. Psalm 119, 58. Psalm 119, 58. Psalm 119, verse 58. I'm going to answer your question, or answer the question, I guess, that I posed, my straw man, if you will. A contrite heart, how do I get there? Here's the answer. Seek him, period. Just seek him. Pursue him. And I don't mean pursue him like, God, I'm going to sit here, I'm at my lunch break, and I'm going to do a little quiet time. Pursue him like you're on fire. Pursue him like he's your your lifeline. Like he's your next breath of air. Like he's your next heartbeat. Pursue him with a passion that nobody would even understand. They would look at you like you're crazy. Pursue him with with a passion that would alter your life. As if your life depended on him. Because it does. Pursuing him. If you will seek him. Psalm 119 verse 58 says, I entreat your favor with my whole heart. Say whole heart. Say whole heart with your whole heart. Whole heart. There's a difference there, isn't there? You know somebody who is pursuing with their whole heart versus someone who's half-hearted or not hearted at all. I entreat your favor with my whole heart. That means like you're on fire, y'all. Be merciful to me. According to your word. There's other scriptures that talk about seeking him and what it looks like. Psalm 119, 135. Matthew 6, stands out. But seek him for himself, not for the stuff or the blessings that he offers. I'm going to tone it back a hair so I don't sound so angry right here. How do I get there? You arrange your life. Around pursuing him. Loving him. Mark chapter 12 verse 30. I did something this week that I haven't done in a long time. I found a, a, a Christian radio station. I just absolutely forgot about it. It's not uh, one of the prominent Christian radio stations. 93.7 WFCJ I think's the the call letters there. And I started surrounding myself. Not with music. Because this station promotes talks, also preaching, conversations. I kept surrounding myself with with the word of God. And what a difference it made for me. That was surrounding myself with pursuing him and loving him. Seek wisdom 
and you'll discover the Lord. Pursue him. I'm going to have Spencer put on a screen Proverbs 8.35. Proverbs 8.35. And you'll see something very interesting. God is all in all. God our Father. The God of the Bible is all in all. For whoever finds me finds life. We can understand that statement, I think, and we've heard it worded differently throughout Scripture. But if you find me, you find life. And I want you to think about that for a moment. There's people that are fighting for their life right now. Around this world, around our community. They're fighting for their life. Ask them if that verse may maybe have a different look now. When, when you're fighting for your life, all of a sudden you get a little bit more wholehearted perhaps. Whoever finds me finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. Seek wisdom and you'll find him. Seek wisdom and you'll find the God of the Bible. Find me in, indicates that you're pursuing him. Sometimes we pursue God like we're playing hide and seek with the four-year-old. Let's play hide and seek. Okay, you go hide and I'll count. One, two, three, and I start watching TV. That's not, did you find me yet? Nope, show's on. I can't I get time for that. Commercial's over. All right, oh, I caught you. You're right there hiding behind the tree. I see you. That's not pursuing. Sometimes we go to God in that manner. Like, God, I'm here. Hurry up, do your thing. You know what I found? Sometimes you're in a dry and thirsty land as a believer for some time. For some time. And then when you have him, oh, the thirst is quenched. Your, your spiritual thirst becomes quenched. Pursue him. When we invoke the word of God, we invoke the spirit of God. Amen? When we invoke the word of God, we invoke the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit initiates. Listen to this. I'm coming up to a big close. You're going to like it. It's applicable. You Invoke the word of God, you invoke the spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit initiates conviction. John 16, 8. He convicts of truth. I love, I, I was reminded of something this week studying this. Not only does he convict of our sin, that's what John 6, 8 says. He will convict the world of sin. But he also, the word convict also means convinces of truth. See it? Not only is there a convict of sin, but it's a convincing of truth. That's why people look at believers and go, how can you believe that stuff? Because I've been convinced by the Holy Spirit. See the difference? If you're, if you're, if you're trusting in some smooth-talking person to talk you into the kingdom of God or into the presence of God, you're going to fall short. But when the Holy Spirit convinces the heart and the soul, that's a whole different deal. Then nobody can talk you out of it. The Holy Spirit initiates conviction. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit initiates? Repentance. We know what that means, a turning from and turning to Acts eleven eighteen. The Holy Spirit initiates illumination, illumination of his word and the things of God. The Holy Spirit initiates Enlightening, enlightening these things to our heart and our mind. Perhaps my favorite, I'll have Spencer put this one on the screen, is the Holy Spirit initiates regeneration. Titus 3 5. Titus 3 5, we'll put on the screen as well. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Pause. Isaiah talked about it. Luke 18 talked about it. Who's the one God going to look on? Isaiah, uh, Psalm 51, David talked about it. And now Titus, Paul's talking this to Titus. Not by righteousness, not by the right living which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He saved us. You didn't save yourself. He, look what happens. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regenerated. 
I'm going to share two more things with you, and then we're going to draw application this morning. One is this. I'm going to be personal. I said this a lot from this pulpit. Uh, I feel the need perhaps to word it a little differently this morning, but this pulpit is not for personal opinion. It's for the preaching of God's word. It's a proclaiming of God's word. You know, but I found myself even at times giving personal illustrations where it's kind of like my own little TikTok in a way. I get to share my life. And that's not, that was, that's not the purpose of the pulpit today. Now saying that, I want to share with you what I've done this week. I'm not going to share everything, but I did something a week ago that a week ago today that is very convicting to me. But the end, of, the end result of it is that I realized that I needed to be broken. I needed to be broken. That started this pursuit. But there was a problem. Broken of what? Okay, Pastor Scott, we need to be broken. What do I need to be broken over? What do I need to be crushed over? Yeah, that's where I found myself. That's exactly where I find myself, found myself, of needing to be broken, and I don't even know of what. Blinded to my own heart. I spent a day pursuing that. Lord, I need to be broken. I, I see that, but I don't know what I need to be broken over. That's how blinded we can become. I realized something at the end of day one. I don't know exactly. And that was a long day. That's a long day of, of going through, going, I need to be broken, but I don't really know of what. But the realization was this, but he does. He knows exactly what I need to be broken of. Sometimes there's a heart issues that we don't see or we don't want to see within ourselves. We don't see it. We don't want to see it. We don't want it to be true. But again, he does. Since he knows and we don't, why not ask him to crush your heart over what you know is not right? So again, in a personal sense, I'm spending a day or two on this thought and I'm going, Lord, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know something's not right in my heart. I don't know it. I, I don't know what it is. But I know something's not right. Don't show your hands on this. But have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Can we be honest for a moment and just say, yeah, I, I've been there. So what? You try to navigate your days. You try to navigate your life. You try to navigate coming to church. You try to navigate our responsibilities with this deep in our heart and this deep in our soul of not knowing, knowing that something's not right and we don't know what it is. Speaking to the believer now. I've been invited the Holy Spirit to reveal and initiate Breaking my heart under the weight of my own sin. Not somebody else's sin, but my own sin. It's been a journey. It's been a journey. The next day didn't look a whole lot different. Because, you know, I said the magic prayer, right? That's the right prayer. You should be like, that's the formula. Say this prayer, and then, you know, it'll all shape up. And nothing changed. Why? My heart wasn't changing. My whole heart hadn't changed. I've 
initiated several, a couple, not many. I didn't want to, very private. <laughs> yeah, now I'm sharing it with everybody. Just to pray with me over this. Because I also know this. The way the pastor goes is the direction the church is going to go. I can't pray for the church to be broken and me not be broken. It's not going to work. I know, I think I know my default setting, besetting sin. I heard a statistic even coming in today about uh, churches and, and their sins. And it kind of went by X amount of churches, this is their sin. And X amount of churches, this is going on in the congregation as sin. And X amount. And as they're going through, I felt pretty good. I felt like well, none of them are me. I don't think. Them aren't mine. Mine was something different. Mine was something different. It's not a sin of the body. It was a sin of the heart. Sin of the body is a little, you can hide that a little better. Or can't hide it as much. Sin of the heart, you can hide a little better. I've allowed and asked God to reveal and initiate breaking us. To fall under the weight of our own sin. Because what's the end result of being broken is the proper relationship with Jesus Christ. The right one. The real one. Stop. It's not looking at other believers or other churches. It's not looking at other things that, that if we only had, if we could only become. It's not looking at the society and go, well, I can't do that because, well, I'm a Christian. It's not, it's not any of that. It's freeing. When we're pop, properly broken, we're probably, prop, properly made right before him. So today, and by the way, I, was, I gave these, we got this packet for children's ministry. And I always, this stuff I give to Pastor Rick, if you can use it, whatever it is. And um, I had sent a text out to the staff this week saying, this is what I'm preaching on, this is what I want it to look like. I'm going to start with preaching, and uh, it's about being broken. And he came to me. This was in the packet today, I am broken, with Isaiah text right there with it. Today, what I've asked Andrew and the praise team to do is we proclaim the word first this morning, and they're going to come up here. And we're going to have two things are going to happen simultaneously. One, as the music plays, it's a prayer time. You can come and pray, do business, any business with God that you may have. Don't be distracted with what else may be going on today. Nothing's more important than this moment. And also, as they go into the next song, it's a time of praise. Next songs, it's a time of worship. It's a time of focused attention given over to him, but I pray that you would come to him. As Billy Graham would say, just as you are, not cleaned up, but just as you are, offer yourself, ask him, ask the Holy Spirit to initiate things in your life that you are not going to be able to do in and of yourself. Let's bow our heads for a moment as the praise team comes. I want to take this time and, and thank you for giving me the freedom as the pastor of this church to preach as I am led. But I also want to take this time and be mindful that this is the first time we've prayed in this worship service. I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm getting ready to pray that the Lord would do a work that only he can do. Not for the sake of filling the altar up. That's not the goal. The goal is for you to be made right. Genuinely before him. But he's got to break. Dear Lord, as we come to you for our first prayer of this worship hour, I pray that you would take this effort. Take this time. Take this genuine moment. And make it your own.
In a moment, we're going to stand in reverence to you. We're also going to stand because it's easier to come and pray. But we don't have the time. And if we'll be truthful, dear God, we don't have the energy to play games with our own soul, our own heart any longer. We need hope. We need life. We need a genuine faith like Timothy had. It's time for me to stop and to let you do a work. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with the praise team as they sing and they lead us? You, of course, are invited to sing. Won't you come and do any business? Let him have your heart and do business as he sees fit. Won't you come?
seated for just a moment, and I'll ask the ushers to come forward as we prepare to collect the offering. Let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll, I'll have our announcements. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, who convicts us of sin and draws us closer to you when we respond with a heart of faith, a heart of humility, a heart knowing that you are the judge, that you see all sin, and it's up to us to repent of it. Lord, we pray that today, everyone in this room, everyone hearing this message, will have a broken and a contrite heart and seek to honor you in all that we do. As we collect this offering, I pray that the gospel would go forth from Cross Point Baptist Church to reach souls for Jesus Christ. We'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Very briefly, uh, I did want to mention some important announcements. Uh, one is that we have the, the men's golf outing today, I believe, at 2 o'clock. It'll be at Friendly Meadows. Um, be sure to see Pastor or um, one of the other folks, I know Brian Reynolds and others are, are going to that. If you have any questions, be sure to see them. But don't be late. Um, I know they're, they're arranging certain things even now as we speak. The second announcement is for Wednesday. We have a lot of things um, going on. This Wednesday, uh, we'll have Awana training in the Bible Quest room. For anybody that's interested in being an Awana leader, uh, even if you just want the information, we'd encourage you to, to be a part of our meeting. It'll start at 7 o'clock. We also have the adult Bible study. And the New Life group will be having their orientation uh, with the parents. So that's all this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions, feel free to see any of the leaders uh, or myself for, for the Awana training. And then the last announcement is that I believe Grief Share kicks off this Thursday at 7 o'clock. Um, this is a very special and important ministry here for anyone who's lost a loved one either in the, the recent past or the distant past. Uh, we want to do whatever we can as a church to encourage you, to support you, to build you up. So uh, be praying for the Grief Share Ministry as they kick off this Thursday. I just want to end, um, let God have the final word here today. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. You are dismissed.